It is Wednesday, October 25th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. The Arizona Diamondbacks headed to the World Series. And the NBA tips off. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Diamondbacks beat the Phillies in Game 7 of the NLCS. The Nuggets top the Lakers, Suns over the Warriors as the NBA season tips off. And there's a frozen frenzy that happened last night. What is the Vegas lead here, Scott? Let's talk about the World Series being set. The Texas Rangers will take on the Arizona Diamondbacks as the D-backs win both games six and seven in Philadelphia to earn their first trip to the World Series since 2001. A 4-2 win last night as Brandon Fodd was as good as he's been throughout the entire postseason. He did allow two runs in four innings, but the Arizona bullpen held the Phillies down. That's all they would score for the remainder of the game. Yeah, uh, this was a great job by Diamondback pitching to hold this Philly lineup down in the last few last few games. Uh, this Phillies this Phillies lineup that was just destroying everyone early on and looked like they were gonna the, what they did to the Braves was it was like it was terrifying, and the fact that they've just been held to almost nothing, uh, particularly in their losses, was shocking. Uh, Arizona winning four out of the last five, just a a dominant run of pitching for for the Diamondbacks. And we talked about game six where Schwarber, Turner, and Harper were a combined 0 for 9. They were a combined 1 for 11 last night. So that's 1 for 20 in games six and seven. And I put it out on Twitter. I said this was an absolute choke job by the Philadelphia Phillies. They won the first two games at home. They had an opportunity to take a three games to one series lead when Craig Kimbrell blew it and they lost game four, six to five, allowing three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning. But they still took a three games to two series lead back to Philadelphia and losing both games six and seven. Just uh, unacceptable. Yeah. And you know what? The it, it sounds like. I don't know. I guess there's people who would say you're not giving the Diamondbacks enough credit, but you're right. The Phillies are the team with the, you know, the hundred million dollar players who just didn't get the job done. Like these are the guys making all the money, the big payroll team. When you don't show up in the big moments, that's what people are going to call it is a choke. Teams facing elimination at home in this 2023 Major League Baseball postseason. (laughs) Oh, and five. Yeah. which means the road teams have gone 5-0. and Phillies and Astros both losing in Game 7, and then Twins, Brewers, and Rays both losing in their respective series in a win-or-go-home type game. So just what a performance by Arizona. They were a young, feisty you know, team all season. They finally got the running game going in the final two games of this series, stealing bases. Corbin Carroll came through last night. And they deserve it. They really do. They deserve it. And I'm curious how they're going to match up against this high-powered Texas offense now. Yeah, I I thought that Carol Moreno, I guess it was the, what, the the fifth inning 
when they uh, when they took the lead when Arizona took the lead I said man that that feels like it's going to be it's going to be hard for Philly to get back from it and it was only a one run game at that point but the way the top of that Philly's order has been hitting I was like where are these hits going to come from and Arizona had 11 hits in this game Philly had five and it, it kept it kept feeling like Arizona's about to break out about to break out about to break out they broke out in the fifth and Philly just never broke through as far as the World Series, I mean, it's a good question. This is a this is a really young team. This is, I, I mean, I guess it's if you're into if you're like you're a baseball purist, aren't you excited that the Diamondbacks, this team that doesn't have a billion dollar payroll, uh, has kind of scratched and clawed their way here? This is like an an, an underdog story, right? No, no one cares about these teams. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's, 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 it is a fun series. They are a fun team to root for, and they're going to be underdogs in the World Series. Mackenzie, do you have the odds for the World Series? Uh, because people are going to want to root for the Diamondbacks, I feel. Yes, and they are underdogs again. They are plus 140. The Rangers are the favorite to win the World Series at minus 170. All right, and game one will be on Friday night from Texas. Uh, coming up on Thursday, Josh Towers and I will do a Major League Baseball uh, World Series preview podcast, getting your bets set for Game 1 of the World Series on Friday. How do we think this this does as far as ratings go? I, I can't imagine. Terribly. They, I mean, these are two franchises that don't have fan bases away from their their homes. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're two big markets. The, the The Dallas market and the Phoenix market are both big television markets, but... I think casual viewership is going to be almost nothing. Yeah, there's a quote from Nate Silver on Twitter, or now X. This is the least compelling World Series matchup in a long time, maybe ever. MLB made a lot of great and overdue changes this season, but it's time to contract the playoffs and give the regular season more meaning. I thought longer series meant the better team was supposed to win. Dogs are 22-11 and 11 in this in these playoffs. What, what What's going on? Yeah, sometimes it just comes down to pitching, and it was the bullpen of the Arizona that got the job done late. Um, you know, Ginkle and Seawalt, and and man, you look at Seawalt's performance in this postseason, and it's like, yeah, the Mariners could use that guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe they would have been yeah. in the playoffs if they still had that guy. <laughs> but it, sometimes it doesn't matter what your record is; it's just about who comes through in the clutch and. The Phillies batters did not come through in the clutch. I was very critical of Trey Turner. Big spot in the game. Um, and, and this is where I was most critical. He swings at the first pitch a lot. And a lot of the times he's successful swinging at the first pitch. But there was a moment when the Diamondbacks went to the bullpen in a critical spot where the Phillies are down 4-2. to two, And they bring in a reliever who, in Ginkgo, who had never this postseason come into the middle of an inning. He had always started with a clean inning. He had never had inherited runners. And during the season, he was good with inherited runners, but he did allow like eight of them to score out of the 20 that he had on base, 21 that, that he had on base. So you thought maybe with one out, Schwarber and Pache are on base, first and second, Trey Turner, how about you take a pitch? The crowd is going crazy, and this is your moment. You have a pitcher in an unfamiliar role in a pressure spot with runners on base, and what does he do? He swings at the first two pitches completely out of the zone and then winds up flying out later in the at-bat. Just gave the pitcher all the confidence in the world. Terrible at-bat there. 
in the biggest spot of the game because the top of the order never got up again. Yeah, and that was the knock on that on this Phillies team throughout this series, and really not through the playoffs because in the playoffs it was Turner and Harper and Schwarber just carrying the load. And the last it seemed like the last three or four games of this series, none of those guys showed up in the big moments. And this was that was another great example. Schwar and uh, Harper flies out to end the inning, and that was the last threat that they had. Well, Mad Dog Russo might uh, be retiring from radio because uh, he had said on his show that if uh, Philly lost this series when they came back home up three games to two, that he would retire. So a uh, little fuel for the Arizona Diamondbacks. <laughs> well, we'll see if he uh, if we if he stands by that. I don't know what his contract <laughs> is, but Who said I'll, that I'll be curious. Uh, Mike Russo. Mad Dog Russo said that. He will be missed. I don't think I don't think Mad I think Mad Dog will be back on air tomorrow. He will be yeah, with sure. a Mel Kuyper talking about Jimmy Clausen and all the prospects he has. I mean, this yeah. they always do it when they say they're going to retire, right? That's the point that they only always in pro wrestling. <laughs> only in pro wrestling they retire, and then like maybe maybe a month or two later they come back out of retirement, but they always <laughs> retire for a little while. Yeah. Well, congratulations to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Again, game one of the World Series will be on Friday. Josh Towers and I will have a World Series preview pod coming up on Thursday. The NBA season tipped off last night with a couple of Western Conference games. Nuggets get a 119-107 win over the Lakers and the Suns. 108-104 winners on the road at Golden State. McKenzie, let's start with that Nuggets-Lakers game. McKenzie Rivers, our NBA expert, in on this conversation. Uh, this is the, an ideal way to start a title defense for the Nuggets. And Nikola Jokic looks like a triple-double. Looks like he's picking up right where he left off. Yeah, looked like the best player in the world. And the worry was, well, they lost Bruce Brown. They lost Jeff Green. Some of their ancillary pieces, are they going to look the same? Well, to be honest, their bench looked pretty scattershot. And they didn't do great but they still have the best player in the world. They still have Jamal Murray, who looked really good, really efficient. And they were by far the better team. This was like a photo copy of game one, game two, game four of last year's playoffs where they swept them. They get out to a big lead. Uh, they asked Nikola Jokic, was this game difficult for you? Was the, were, Are the Lakers difficult to play? They asked him on TNT. He said, no. He said, <laughs> not really. He said, you know, we got out to a big lead and we got kind of tired. You know, we, we lost some focus, but no, this wasn't a particularly difficult game. That's how I saw it, too. The Nuggets were a lot better. Uh, the Lakers played some uh, scrappy playoff series against the Grizzlies and the Warriors and went much farther than I predicted or many people predicted after they started the season two and ten. But they're not that good. They're just simply not that good. Yeah, and LeBron James was excellent last night. Ten of 16 from the field, 21 Whoa! points. Okay, let's talk about it. Okay, I, I, well, I mean, when you look at the, in, I should say, putting it in perspective with the rest of his team, and particularly the guys who were fueling that postseason run, the got the heroes of the postseason, the un, like the unheralded guys, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, both expected to carry a bigger load this season. Both start out with, I don't want to say dud games, but kind of dud games, and Anthony Davis pretty inefficient as well, minus seventeen when he was on the floor. Uh, I mean. Obviously, LeBron is at an age where he's not capable of carrying a team. I mean, he can carry a team to maybe be the eight or nine seed. He's not carrying a team into contention unless he gets a lot of help. He really shouldn't be the A player on a team. Uh, is this what you expect from the, the, the supporting cast all season? Or do you think this was just a bad night playing against the best team in the NBA? I think it's 100% about LeBron James. I think that... 
is the case. And yeah, uh, Rui Hachimura, who was shooting 45% from three, it went 0 for 3. Austin Reeves didn't look particularly good, didn't get some of the foul calls that he usually gets, uh, minus 14 when he was on the court. Uh, but LeBron James, he played 29 minutes, scored 21 points. He was efficient, 16 for 10. I used to go to Great America every year. My aunt used to take my Aunt Pam. And one year, there was a big Batman show that I was super excited about, eight years old. I went there, and he falls off the, the trapeze wire or whatever, and he gets hurt. And I thought Batman died. They took him out in a, in a stretcher. And I realized that was not Batman. That was a show. <laughs> that was an act. This whole thing about LeBron James just needing help is just not the case in any shape, way, form, or fashion. He got minutes with a big deficit against, uh, let's see, who are the Nuggets players? Z Naji, B Key, P Watson, <laughs> Reggie Jackson, I know that name, C Galipsy, all right, he only played a minute. But the fact that he scored points was completely non-material to the game. He didn't score points. He wasn't the key difference maker when it actually was competitive in the first half. Anthony, yeah. Anthony Davis, this is going to be the narrative on first take and all, all the different places. He's the story of the game. He didn't score in the second half. He was the reason why it was somewhat competitive in the second half because he's the best defensive player on the floor. Uh, you look at Jamal, you get the, the, the stars in this game. Jamal Murray, not a defensive player. Jokic, better, not a defensive player. LeBron James at this point in his career, not a defensive player. Anthony Davis is supposed to be the best defensive player and the best offensive player. He goes 0 for 6 in the second half. And it's supposed to be this huge catastrophe. How is he supposed to do this? Why isn't he leading his team? Well, he shot one time in the fourth quarter on a bailout three at the end of the shot clock. They didn't go to him. And then they, and then they put the blame on him. It's a complete – it's farcical. It's farcical. Kevin Durant, he started 6 for 17, the exact same field goal rate. Well, he ends up shooting more, still being in the offense, still being present. He's fine. He wins the game. Steph Curry, pretty good player. He started 7 for 17. He's still shooting. He's still part of the game. When Anthony Davis goes 0 for 5 in the third quarter, they don't go back to him. They say, okay, well, we're not winning this game. Let me make sure I get my stats. Let me make sure my 10 points after the game stop being competitive. I know it got to four points. It was never competitive when the bench unit was in there. I got 10 points in the first half when the game was competitive. Now it's not. Let me just go run and get some rebounds and get, and get some uh, non-important points. I've seen this movie a thousand times. Anthony Davis was the best Laker last night. LeBron James had the best stats. It was the same with Dwayne Wade. It was the same with Kyrie Irving. It's a complete Batman has fallen off the trapeze. You, you made you made an interesting point that LeBron was off. He was often on the court without Anthony Davis. And if it's all about the help for LeBron James, it's weird that those two guys were on the floor like so often at different times. The, the idea that Anthony Davis could be minus 17 and LeBron was plus seven and plus minus just doesn't make sense to me. That If there's such a disparity between those numbers, to me it says they weren't on the floor together enough. Yeah, the game was over really. In the fourth quarter, LeBron James comes up and plays against a bunch of nobodies, cuts it to, I think, seven points when he when he came out. And then they put, in, they put back in Jokic. They put back in Jamal Murray. Nuggets say, okay, well, let's play real basketball. And Darvin Ham, for whatever reason, said, okay, LeBron, you can go to the bench. And Anthony Davis, I know you don't bring the ball up. I know you're a center but you're going to be the linchpin of our offense. It makes no sense. That's why he didn't get any shots. They didn't even give him any post-ups. Uh, it was a very odd decision. And I, I really think the game was over. I think all the minutes, all like after it was a 12 point lead in the first quarter, they always say it's a fourth quarter league. It's a first quarter lead. It was stat padding. It was figuring out how to maybe get lucky and make it a game, but it was never really a game. And uh, the, yeah, the rotations, I, I think that's why just 
limiting minutes, not playing LeBron James that much because the game was out of reach. Phoenix 108, Golden State 104, and this is maybe even more of an impressive win than it sounds like for Phoenix. They were down eight in the fourth quarter. Was this more of a, a, a wild comeback by Phoenix or a massive collapse by the Warriors? It was uh, several collapses in a row. This, I mean, it's it's NBA basketball. We're back, baby. There's a lot of streaks. The Nuggets were up. I mean, sorry, the Suns were up 18 points early in the third quarter. Mm. And, and, and they were down nine by the end of that quarter. This Warriors, it's been 10 years now. They dominate the third quarter after the break. Steph Curry had his best quarter in the third quarter. That's not unusual. Uh, I think they were outmanned. I, I think the Warriors are really up, up a tough hill. I mean, Chris Paul, it seemed watching the game that he was getting a lot of foul calls. He was making the right plays. But four for 15, you're not going to win many games when any player on your team is four fifteen, 15, especially someone who probably should be him and Klay Thompson, the the second go-to offensive creator. If Steph Curry's not going to have a great night, they're not going to be beating a lot of these competitive teams. I have the Suns higher power rated, and even without Bradley Beal, I, I expected them to win. I, I'm kicking myself for not betting them. I'd, I'd love to see more Andrew Wiggins, and I know he wasn't great last night either, but I think in the year of our Lord 2023, Andrew Wiggins should be taking more field goal attempts than Chris Paul or Clay Thompson. And it just, I, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Like the, the fact that Chris Paul took 15 shots in the first game of the season tells me he's, he's just going to keep chucking. And I, I don't think that's the answer. How, how much of a factor do you think it was not having uh, Draymond Green? And how much of a factor do you think it is going forward? It's usually the defensive end that shows up and the Warriors don't have outside of Andrew Wiggins, a lot of elite, elite defensive players, especially where Clay, Clay Thompson is in his career. Uh, but I also think Draymond Green is not the player he used to be. So I don't think he solves their problem, only scoring 104 points. Clay Thompson said today he thinks this is his 13th year is going to be his best year in the NBA. If you look at his stats last year, they were pretty close to his pre-injury years, but he's just, a, he's just not the same guy. And I don't expect him. Charles Barkley was on the mountaintop screaming, his players don't get better when they're old. These guys are old. I don't think that's always true. I think Charles Barkley didn't get better when he was old. Not a lot of, you know, the nutrition wasn't the same back then. I think he retired weighing 300 pounds. But, yeah, I don't see the bull case for the Warriors this year. I really don't. So I remember when Kevin Durant came to the Warriors and there was the discussion of, is this Steph's team or Kevin Durant's team? And at the time, I mean, Steph was obviously the, the biggest winner going, but Kevin Durant was many thought of as the, as the best player in the world. And there was a back and forth. Is Phoenix a Kevin Durant team or a Devin Booker team? Well, the last, well, they're nine and zero with Kevin Durant, so they welcoming in the regular season, so they welcome him in, and he fits in like I always say, he's the most portable player in the NBA. But Devin Booker, before I know he had a really terrible elimination game, he scored like ten points. Before that, he had a very clear argument over Jokic, or right there with Jokic, to be the best player in the playoffs, which is usually a pretty good indicator for best player in the world. Then he comes in in the first half. He scores 21 points. He looks by far the best player on the court. I think he's ascending towards a level higher than Kevin Durant. I'm not the guy to say it's this team or that team. I think it was Kareem's team and Magic's team for much of the mid-80s. I don't think either player was somehow worse because the other guy was out there on the court. But Devin Booker has looked better. He's looked better than any guard in the league since the playoffs started last year. Well, let's take a look at tonight's schedule, all lines courtesy of our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. And let's start at Madison Square Garden, where the Knicks will be advertising the sphere on their jerseys. Yes, James Dolan owns the MSG sphere, and he owns the New York Knicks. So instead of getting an advertiser for the jerseys, he figures 
let me advertise myself. So if you watch the Knicks, Good they call. will have a sphere as their logo patch or their advertising patch on their jersey. The Knicks hosting the Celtics. The Celtics three-point favorites at the Knicks. What do you think about this game, McKenzie? I'm pretty bearish on the Knicks this year. They were one of the most impressive teams statistically last year, a top five straight-up margin team, and their offense was a top 10 offense, even though I couldn't really pick out more players than one that had a better-than-average offensive year, Jalen Brunson. Then this story comes out right before the season starts. We're willing to trade Randall, Barrett, all of our picks. If we could get a guy named Joel Embiid to join our squad, that's where I think the Knicks are. They're in a waiting period where we've achieved respectability. We have a good coach, former coach of the year, guys that led us farther than Carmelo Anthony ever did in the playoffs, farther than it happened since Allen Houston and Latrell Sprewell and Van Gundy. The Knicks, this Knicks is a real team. But I think they're a step away. The Celtics, on the other hand, they've made all their all-in moves. They were the best straight-up margin team last year, and I think they've gotten significantly better on paper. Maybe it doesn't happen right away, but um, I think that story coming out about the Knicks wanting to trade their players is a is a good harbinger for the fact that they're not, uh, right now, a contending team. I, I favor the Celtics here, but more so going forward, I think the Knicks are a fade team. The Wizards are at the Pacers, with the Pacers laying seven at home. You have a feel for this one? I like the Pacers here. Best bet. Uh, I think this line is is going to look pretty foolish by the end of the season. I think the Pacers are an arrow up team that are going to contend for the playoff. Uh, Zach Lowe had him fourth in his playoff ranking. Ivy League grad. I respect his opinion. He's pretty good at, at analyzing this stuff. But I think this is more about the Wizards. They have Jordan Poole. They have a guy that uh, even his own teammates were shrugging and being like, really, dude? When he was scoring 41 points in a preseason game, I think this is going to be a fun up and down team, but one without any really competitive spirit at this point in their cycle, the, the low point of their cycle. A lot of Wizards fans finally happy, finally happy they're bottoming out. But the Pacers, on the other hand, under the third year of Rick Carlisle, I've liked every year of their progression where the first year they were playing completely crazy, you know, 100 miles an hour. Their offense was it was, you know, it was an over every game, the end, the end of that season. Then last year, Miles Turner comes back. They weren't able to trade him, but they're actually okay with him. He's a pretty good center, more than the market was bearing. So they kept him. They played a little bit more controlled, a little bit more with their head. And the result was Tyrese Halliburton became a top 20 player in this league. A guy you're going to look out for is someone that keeps ascending up. Uh, I think the Pacers are a playoff team this year. I think this line would make sense. March of last year where these two teams were, but they've gone in completely different directions since then. I don't think the market reflects it. I will take the Pacers minus seven as my best bet. By the way, first game of the season, favorites are 54% ATS. Uh, where are the Wizards in your power ratings? Are they, They've got to be near the bottom, right? They are dead last, yes. Wow, but like below the Rockets, below the, the Spurs. Yeah, the, worst. the Rockets and the Spurs have gotten better. They have uh, turned the corner from the bottom, bottom of their trajectory. They got the number one pick in Wemby. He's looked amazing in preseason. And the Rockets not only got a real coach, but more importantly, probably to this year's results, they spent $100 million signing, you know, a, a veteran backup, uh, a veteran backcourt with uh, Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Interesting stuff. Well, let's go throughout the remainder of this schedule here. The Hawks are at the Hornets with Atlanta, a three and a half point favorite. You mentioned those Rockets. They are at the Magic Orlando, a four point favorite there. The Pistons are in Miami. The Heat are nine point favorites. That's the biggest spread on the board tonight. The Cavs are in Brooklyn to take on the Nets. Cleveland, a one-point road favorite. This Minnesota- feels short, Mac. What, what, Cavs, one-point favorites over the Nets. What have the Nets done to improve from last season? 
Um, not much. I mean, if you don't think Ben Simmons is going to be an all-star point guard like he does, or at least a starting point guard and not a seventh man like he was last year, uh, I lean heavily to the Cavs here. Haven't done scratch, uh, not at all my tees on this game. Uh, I know it's late in the cycle. I had 400 days to look at this, but I've been wondering the same thing. It does seem short and it opened to pick them and now it's minus one, one and a half. But the Nets last year ended up with an average record about 500. But if you look at post KD, they were not average. They were okay. Mikhail Bridges was very impressive. But they were a bottom 10 team. They were like the 20th in the league. I think the market is mixing those numbers, and I think the Cavs have a little bit of value here. I'm still bullish on the Cavs this season, so I, I'm, I'm probably going to be on the Cavs as well. The market's bullish on them too. Long term, I think uh, the, the I think the play here is to fade the, fade the Nets because they're not anywhere near the Cavs. The Timberwolves are at the Raptors. Minnesota laying one point on the road. Thunder laying one in Chicago against the Bulls. The Grizzlies are laying one at home against the Pelicans. Sacramento, a one-and-a-half-point favorite in Utah, taking on the Jazz. The Mavericks, three-and-a-half-point favorites in San Antonio to take on Wemby and the Spurs. What can we expect from the number one overall pick, McKenzie? Well, I'll tell you what the market expects. They set the over-under for his PRA at 25-and-a-half. If you look at his preseason performances, he was getting that in about 20 minutes. And I know the defense is going to be stronger. I know... Uh, they're going to have more game plans and, you know, kind of like the NFL, they're going to blitz and do things that make it harder for a young player. But I think that's light. And if you look at his season long over unders, far off places have these available to bet. He's over under 16 and a half points, over under 10 and a half rebounds. Put those together. He should be putting more than 25 and a half points, rebounds and assists together. The Mavs have a pretty bad defense. They don't have anybody tall. Grant Williams is going to be guarding them. So I think he's going to have a good opening night. I don't, not sure if they win. They're still you know, pretty bad team, and I think the Mavs are better than some people think. But uh, I kind of like that over PRA, and one from Sleepy J. He w- we were talking about this on our thread uh, t- with uh, Munaf about with our new NBA podcast host Munaf. Uh, over one and a half turnovers is minus one fifty. That is a very appealing bet. Sleepy J is on that. Sorry if you are selling it. I gave it out for free, but uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. He's going to have a lot of the ball. He's never been in this scenario before. <clears throat> They're probably going to be trailing, so. Probably gets two turnovers, that cashes, and I think he gets more than 25 points, rebounds, and assists. Wimby, who's going to handle the ball more than a typical, you know, seven-footer will handle the ball, that seems like a guy who would be prone to some turnovers, right? Like a big man who's got the ball in his hands a lot more than a a normal, a typical, you know, back-to-the-basket center. Doesn't that seem like you're going to look at more steals along the way? 100%. There's a reason why there's never been a point guard outside of Magic Johnson that's 6'9". That was very effective because it's a long time when you throw the ball down gravity-wise, physics-wise, before it gets back up to your hand, a lot of opportunities to steal it. And we saw Wemby throwing it between people's legs, taking some chances. Even in the half court, I think he's turnover prone because they're going to be throwing some things he didn't necessarily expect. But in transition, yeah, he's going to be trying some things. He thinks he's Kevin Durant. He says he's Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is very, very skilled to be able to be able that tall and still drive past people. Wemby's going to take some time before he gets there. That's why I think he gets two turnovers tonight. I like that bet a lot. That's why you listen to this show. And one final game, the Clippers, nine-point favorites at home against the Trailblazers. Again, those lines courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. You know, every once in a while, I'll be sitting at home and saying, what are we going to cook for dinner? What are we going to cook for? My wife says, I don't know. And then guess what happens? Omaha Steaks comes by and drops meat off on my front porch and makes all the decisions that much easier, Scott. Meat to your front porch? Can't beat it, baby. Doesn't get better than that. I had the meatballs last night, and 
They were delicious, man. It was easy to cook, reheat in the oven, and bang, dinner is served. It's steaks, it's chicken, it's pork chops, it's it's meatballs, like you said. They've got sides, so much great stuff. Guys, they've got a great sale going on right now. The Omaha Steak semi-annual sale is here. It's a sale so nice, they only do it twice. Score mouth-watering savings on all your Omaha Steaks favorites with 50% off site-wide during that semi-annual sale going on right now. From tender, juicy steaks to big, beefy burgers, scrumptious sides, decadent desserts and so much more now's the perfect time to grab all your favorites plus get an extra $30 off when you use our promo code Vegas at checkout and every purchase is backed by their unconditional money back guarantee simply go to omahasteaks.com and shop the semi-annual sale today that's omahasteaks.com promo code Vegas at checkout minimum purchase may apply listen we get it you're busy you got work to do kids to take care of Got to get to the gym at some point. And make sure you're drinking enough water and figuring out what's for dinner is a whole nother project. Yeah, point is, you're busy. You don't have time for 10 minutes of commercials or scripted dating segments on your morning commute. That's why we created The Morning Show Podcast. I'm Carla Marie. My name is Anthony, and The Morning Show Podcast is a daily podcast aimed at keeping you informed and entertained in under 25 minutes. We kick off every show with the core four. It's the four biggest news stories that you should probably be aware of. And then we continue on with music games, pop culture news. And of course, what's trending, the thing you didn't know you needed until Carla Marie told you about it. Yeah, it's my favorite. You can get the Morning Show podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your shows. Some NFL news and notes. The Tennessee Titans are leaning towards playing both backup quarterbacks, Will Levis and Malik Willis, if Ryan Tannehill is ruled out for this week's game. Let's talk about the grand scheme of the Titans here. Like, I would not expect the Titans to be a team who are, like, punting on the season. They're la- they're, they're in last place in one of the worst divisions. But Vrabel doesn't seem like the kind of guy to like, okay, let's just move on from this year. But they just traded Kevin Byard, who's maybe one of their best defensive players, to the Philadelphia Eagles for like a, a sack of potatoes. Yep. And now they're talking about, you know, rotating quarterbacks. This is not things that winning organizations do. Have we reached the end of the Titans run? Like, is this, is this it? Or are the Titans going to have to bottom out at some point here? I think they're just going to hit the reset button and decide to go move forward with, you know, whether it's Will Levis, who they drafted this year, or Malik Willis, and see what the future holds. They're going to have to step into this new era at some point. They're going to get a new stadium soon. It's I think that they just uh, – it's time now to, hit the, to have a rebuild and start fresh in a couple of years or be competitive now in a couple of years. They're making moves that make me think they're not that interested in winning this season. No, which is su- surprising to me coming. Like if you told me that coming into the year, I would have said you're crazy, mm. but it's a, it's a bit surprising. Mackenzie, have we seen a line movement on that game with this news that it could be Willis and Levis playing for them? Yes. And there was some mysterious line movement that I didn't quite understand that this probably explains it where the look ahead line Falcons were plus one and that closed pick them. So some money came in at Atlanta before any of the games were played. Then it went up to minus one. Now the Falcons are minus two and a half. So I guess all of that, without me being aware of it, underneath the surface was speculation that Tannehill would not be back after two weeks. Yeah, interesting stuff there. Uh, Elsewhere, Jim Ursay says that the NFL told him that they got some calls wrong in the game against the Cleveland Browns. And not like that's going to change anything, but does it make you feel better, AJ? Uh, No, and if you're the Colts, it certainly doesn't make you feel better either. They tell you, yeah, you know that... um, 
that sack fumble that you recovered uh, that would have ended the game. We might have we might have made a mistake on that. Oh, you know that um, that pass interference we called in the end zone that was completely uncatchable. We may have made a mistake there. It, I mean, those things are. I guess it's nice to hear, and it's nice for validation if you if you uh, if you bet the Colts or you you thought the Colts should have been the right side, and then you uh, you lose. I guess maybe it makes you feel a little better. But if you're the Colts the loss is still a loss in the, in the win loss column. It's still showing up in the right side of that column and it's not going to change. These are things that, I mean, listen, I've said this a lot and I I said it more about this last weekend than I have all season. I think this was the worst officiated weekend we've had all season Mm. in a league where there's such an emphasis on replay and getting calls, right. And there's so many tools to make sure you get calls, right how they could get so many calls wrong in literally game-deciding situations is baffling to me. The NFL has to be better than that. This league, we should be so far beyond this point, you know, with with all the technology and everything that's been put into place, we, we shouldn't even be having to discuss things like this at this point because everything should be able to be fixed after the fact. The idea, and I said this yesterday, I want to reiterate it, because I, I I gave a lot of thought in, about it t- uh, yesterday, the the fact that the fourth down play that the Steelers ran that should have been a turnover on downs, where Kenny Pickett was clearly short of the line to gain, the fact that that's not reviewable because there was an extra thirteen seconds left on the clock in what could have been a turnover situation, is baffling to me. Like how how you can say well it's not important enough to look about look at because there's 13 extra seconds here that decided the whole game there has to be a way to get these calls right they, they, especially you know it's one thing and I know people will say oh my fantasy team my stats this this should this shouldn't have happened blah 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 I'm talking about wins and losses for NFL teams we have to be able to get those things right. And the fact that there were so many of them that were missed this weekend was was very disappointing. It's nice to hear the NFL admit they were wrong. But how about this? Just stop being wrong. Get it right. You've got the tools to get it right. What do you think about us chipping the ball, which I think they already have just for like TV purposes? For, yeah, for all, the, uh, for all the stat purposes. Like all, the, all the, uh, the, the, the big stats that the NFL's pushing all the time. They got all these commercials about, oh, we've got all the best analytic stats, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Check out all our cool stats. Yeah, they know exactly where the ball is. Why not use that to say it just, did it cross it, yeah. the line to gain? The, the thing, the, the thing that always bothers me is that the line to gain is not treated the same as the goal line. Why the goal it line can be just as important? Exactly. And in that Steelers game, it was just as yes. important. That the was go, like the goal line it, is where they say any part of the ball touches any part of the white, it's a touchdown, right? But for some reason, when we talk about the yard to gain, it's like the ball has to go over the line. It's like when we see a ball carrier carry it, and then the ref comes in and spots the ball, and it's it's, it's where it's like back. at his discretion. Yes, it's like, yes. yeah, I think he's there. I think I'm, he's I'm here. There. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how that can be. Like a first down, is especially like I said, that that Steelers first down ended the game. I, I'm not saying the Rams would have gone down and won. I don't know. The Rams offense hadn't been great all day. What I do know is Matt Stafford with those weapons, you certainly have a chance. He did not have a chance in that game because they said, yeah, looks like he made it. 
even though, I mean, it was so obvious that he did not make it, but they, like there's some 70 year old man who runs up, puts his hand up and says, yep, right here. This is where the ball goes <laughs> by this foot. And everybody, the, guy, the other guy comes up and runs up to him and says, are you sure it's that foot? And he's like, yep. All right. First down game's over. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's stuff that happens in a junior high game. Like, this is the NFL. There's no way mistakes like that should be made. I think you suggested two fixes that would have easily fixed that particular problem. One, why is it final two minutes to have the officials do the review? In that game, the game was over with two minutes to go because they were going to kneel it It was. That happens all all the time. Second thing, if it's a turnover on downs, why are we treating that different from a fumble and interception? That's a game-changing play, reviewable. It should be reviewable. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Uh, yeah, I'm sure Jim, Ir- I, I can't, I mean, I'm Jim Irsay felt good enough to brag about it on X or Twitter or whatever, but by the way, what I, I hate that rebranding. I can't, can't just call it X. It doesn't sound right, but either way, he felt good enough to brag about the NFL being wrong on that platform, but I can't imagine it makes him feel a whole lot better about the fact that his team lost a football game. Two games in college football last night, and if you uh, if you're subscribed to my package at pregame.com, you went two and zero on those bad boys. A double winner, New Mexico State, uh, three point dog. I said no, friends. Let's play the money line. New Mexico State twenty seven twenty four winners at Louisiana Tech, and Liberty Liberty Bibbity forty two twenty nine winners at Western Kentucky. They covered the five point spread, so no big surprises there. But Liberty. Now eight and zero on the season, and listen, this is if I said this at the beginning of the year, I played Liberty's win total over. I said I don't think Liberty is that good. They have the easiest schedule in the history of time. Here's my question to you, Scott: Is there a point where Liberty cracks the top twenty-five? Liberty gets in discussion for the uh, the top G five spot if they keep winning football games, or? Is, is the committee that, that runs these rankings going to be smart enough to say, yeah, they're not playing anybody. We're not rewarding that. Cracking top 25 is a possibility, but as far as anything beyond that is concerned or getting a favorable bowl game, it's not going to happen. The schedule is way too poor, and they don't have anybody coming up since, I guess, I don't know, Old Dominion or UTEP maybe that that is somewhat respectable. So they're going to finish undefeated. They might crack the top 25, but going beyond that, no. Nice season. Uh, Jacksonville State tonight, an eight-point road favorite at Florida International. Jacksonville State, eight and two. Uh, they're very good. Rich Rodriguez has that thing humming, uh, particularly defensively. I think they're going to be strong. They, they're uh, they're ready to go. Uh, Mackenzie, I'm going to have you look something up, and this is baffling to me. I want to know when the last time in this point of the season, we're in week nine now that a a team that has not won a single football game has been favored in a game. Has that ever happened before Mac? Yeah. So it looked like it happened a few times in the COVID season, but throw that out, obviously a lot of different variables. Yeah. The teams weren't Oh, and eight. They like, they were in week eight and they were like, Oh, and three. Exactly. But in the power five, this hasn't happened since 2017 Baylor without a win was eight and a half points favorite versus Kansas. We remember how bad those Kansas teams were in that at that time period. And who covered that game? Baylor did. Wasn't close. Baylor 38 the, points the, to nine points. Yeah. The winless favorite covered Sam Houston State, the first FBS team since 2017 to be favored this late in the season without a win. They are minus three and a half hosting UTEP. And I'll be honest, 
I kind of think Sam Houston covers. Uh, I I prefer the under. It's at 36 and a half. It's a very low total. UTEP is terrible. They're terribly coached. I, I don't, Sam Houston, I mean, they're good on defense. Their offense is dreadful. Uh, this is going to be a grimy game, but I do think Sam Houston finally gets their first FBS win uh, favored by three and a half points at 0 and 7. Will they rush the field after they win? All thirty people that are in attendance will rest. I posted a picture on my on my uh, on my ex last week. Uh, it was like a, a Tuesday ga- or a Wednesday game, and and Sam Houston, they're gonna, like this. Listen, they're going to play a lot of Wednesday games when you play in, in Conference USA. You're going to play on Tuesdays and Wednesdays now. Uh, but I posted a picture like during the warmups, and I was like, "So you want to be an FBS school?" And there was literally like five people in the stands, and so many people tweeted at me, getting mad that. That was well before the game started. There was way more people in the stands, and it was a Tuesday night, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I've never I've been to a lot of big-time college football stadiums. Once the players are on the field, the fans are in the stands, okay? I, I get tailgating, all that. Like, I, I've never – I've been to, you know, I've been to the University of Texas. I've been to Ohio State. Uh, when, those, when, when those pregame warm-ups are happening – there's never five people in the stands. You want to play big boy football, get your ass to the stadium, even on a Wednesday night. That means tonight, Sam Houston, get, get it, get out there cats. What do you got? What else are you going to do in freaking Huntsville? There's nothing else going on there. Get out to the stadium. The NHL's first frozen frenzy last night, where we had all 32 teams in action, 16 games on a weeknight as uh, it was a lot of fun watching all of these games and, and watching uh, ESPN go back and forth. They had some special broadcasts on the app and on their TV networks as like kind of like a red zone type thing going in between games. It, it was it was interesting. Uh, I, Scott, I, I think it was cool, too. Why didn't they do this last Tuesday? Why didn't <laughs> why did they do this on the day that the NBA started? Like and, and, this and there's game seven of the NLCS. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems really like an odd day to do it. Yeah. Uh, like the, okay. NBA is tipping off. There's a game seven in the NLCS. I know let's do something we've never done. We'll have all our teams play at once. I love the idea. Not crazy about the timing. I think a Tuesday or Wednesday night is certainly the right time to do it when there's no NFL going on. And, yeah. And, but Man, it, this it felt like it could have been a way bigger deal if it was on one of those nights where there was nothing else in the world happening. Yeah, a little bit overshadowed last night by NLCS Game 7 and the NBA tipping off, but we have the Colorado Avalanche improved to 6-0. and They stay undefeated as they go into uh, Long Island and defeat the Islanders 7-4. <laughs> Mind you, the total for this game was 5.5 because... Alexander Georgiev, the goaltender for the Colorado Avalanche, has posted the best numbers of any goaltender in the NHL so far this season. And Ilya Sorokin, the goaltender of the Islanders, is a perennial Vesna Trophy candidate and historically is lights out at home. The total was five and a half in this game. There were 11 goals scored. Sorokin allows five goals and a couple of empty netters. Georgiev allows four goals. This was it, it was two one at the end of the first period. And I'm like, yeah, maybe the under can still come into play. And then four goals were scored in the second period. And I was like, well, see you later. Uh, so uh, I'd like to, you know, imagine going back in time and saying, hey, 
five and a half on this game that winds up being 11 goals. You could have made the total 10 and it still went over. That's an old Warner Wolf joke. If you had a, you know, a team wins by 50 and he goes, if you had them plus 49, you lost. Uh, anyway, six and zero for the avalanche as they continue their unbeaten streak to start the season. Also continuing their unbeaten streak to start the season, the Boston Bruins, who defeated the Blackhawks 3-0 in Chicago last night. And Connor Bedard, for the third consecutive game, goes under his shots on goal props. So going over for four straight games to start the season, he has now gone under in three straight games, which I like because I just want the books to go back to the two-and-a-halves and stop posting the three and a halfs on Connor Bedard. So now that he's gone under for a couple of games, maybe we'll get that adjustment and they'll go back down to the two and a halfs for uh, the number one overall pick. And also continuing their unbeaten streak to start the season in come from behind fashion, our Vegas Golden Knights 7-0 no, no, to no, start no, the no. season. Stop trying to claim me and McKenzie's team here. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's nice that you're jumping on the bandwagon. You're a little late, but yes, Mac, Mac and I's seven and zero VGK got the job done. It looked like, I mean, they they took a lead one nothing. Philly, two unanswered goals. I, I don't know that they were they should have been legally binding goals. I'm sure, like the, the NHL is going to come out and say, oh, these goals should have been disallowed. Uh, but yeah, VGK comes back, gets the win, and that's all that really matters. Because Scott. you know what the third period is. It's nighttime. Winning time. It's nighttime. No, it's winning time. <laughs> We've discussed this. God dang it. Uh, well, only one game on the schedule tonight. It is the Capitals at the Devils. New Jersey is a minus 250 favorite in this one, and you'll likely get Akira Schmid in net for the Devils after Vitek Vanacek played last night in the Devils' victory. And uh, Hunter Shepard is the confirmed goaltender. Made up person. In he is made up. He is the number three goalie making his first NHL appearance tonight for the Capitals. I lean towards the Devils here. What you're fading a guy making his first ever start in the history of his life? Dana White dropped some bad news for the UFC 295 event last night. UFC 295 is at Madison Square Garden on November 11th. The next scheduled pay per view. John Jones versus Stipe Miocic is off as John Jones has a torn pectoral muscle. He will be out for a while. He's going to need surgery. Sergey Pavlovich versus Tom Aspinall for the interim heavyweight championship Ew. will replace that fight. Uh, the main event is now Yuri Prohashka and Alex Pereira, uh, but John Jones out at UFC 295. The maybe. You know, the biggest non-Conor McGregor star in the game is off the card, so it does lose a little bit of sex appeal for sure. And the heavyweight championship fight is not the main event? It is. Well, it's an interim title fight. There is a, a light heavyweight uh, title fight as well, Yuri Prohoshka and Alex Pereira. That's going to be the main event. Pavlovich Aspinall is going to be the co-main event, but it's for the interim heavyweight title. Mm. The assumption is the interim heavyweight guys will fight, and if when John Jones is healthy, he will fight the winner. If it's going to be a long time, Stipe will fight the winner of that fight. And then John Jones will fight him when he comes back. So you were saying we got pretty lucky with the last two main event cancellations, switcheroos. I'm guessing this one didn't quite live up to the billing. 
No, listen, uh, Tom Aspinall is one of the best young heavyweights in the world. Sergey Pavlovich is absolutely deserving of a title shot. But anytime you lose John Jones from a fight card, you're not going to be able to replace him. So this is this is not as the the event is not as good as it was going to be. It's not as exciting as it was going to be because anytime you get to see John Jones, who is arguably the greatest pound for pound fighter in the history of the sport, uh, it's always an awesome opportunity. We will not get that opportunity now. But uh, Pavlovich and Aspinall is a good fight. It's just not John Jones. Well, make sure you guys head to pregame.com. Take advantage of the discounted packages we have available for you. You can get a daily best bet package or a season-long subscription. And with the NBA season officially underway, no one better than our very own Mackenzie Rivers. If you use the promo code MAC50, you can save $50 on Mackenzie Rivers' NBA season all-access. You get every pick from Mackenzie for the entire NBA season, three sec- three straight years, 57% winners. No one else is doing that. So go to pregame.com, jump on board McKenzie's NBA season, all access, and use the promo code MAC50, and you can save $50 on that package at pregame.com. For McKenzie Rivers and AJ Hoffman, I'm Scott Seidenberg. We are straight out of Vegas. Hey, yeah.